1: follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. This is the Finding Backcountry podcast, episode 42, and I've got a, a Mule Dare episode for the Mule Dare guys out there because I've got um, Clay Allen on the line. Clay, how you doing, man? Good good. Now I'll give you a real brief kind of overview of how I came to know who you were. Um, and then I'll let you tell the, you know, the actual story, but, um, really just freaking killing huge, huge mule deer. Um, I know you're kind of in the Wyoming country there and I don't know if that's the only place you hunt or if you get out, you know, uh, venture out very much, you know, Colorado or Montana or anything like that. But, um, and and one buck specifically, um, that I know of uh, that you nicknamed Hank, uh, really, you know, is really one that I've known about recently. So, um, and that's uh-huh. that, that's really it. You know, that's the that's the Instagram social media world that we live in. Um, you know, guy kills a bunch of big big mule deer, and you'll kind of know who they are, but never met them. So, but what's yeah. what's kind of the the cliche uh, podcast two minute you know, rundown of kind of where you grew up and how you got into chasing big mule deer.
0: Uh, okay. I'll give you the, I really, I grew up, uh, we traveled around a lot when I was a kid, uh, settled in rock Springs or actually 24 miles out of rock Springs in a little town called point of rocks. <laughs> and I would bust the school anyways, long story short. I started hunting out there in the desert uh, when, until I got a little bit older That I wanted to start hunting the high country You know I heard all the great stories About it and I tried it for about five years Before I was successful And uh, I wound up working with a gentleman Kyle Balsley was his name And uh, he's like one of the Original You know and Mike Eastman Talked about coyoting out Yeah, well, This guy was doing it before I, Mike Eastman was you know and, uh, so anyways, Kyle, uh, kind of fueled my fire to hunt high country bucks. And I started hunting with him and, uh, he just got to where he didn't want to go as much and he's, he's older, but, um, yeah, he's the one that started fueling the fire. And I think the other thing, I don't like being in the mid mountain. The desert was all right, but I don't like being in mid-mountain. I like to be on top. And when I was hunting in the desert, I was always on the, the highest peak that I could find. And <laughs> hunting up in the high country, I just liked being, and I think that's why I'm more tailored to mule deer than elk hunting, because I like to be on top and that's where the deer hang out.
1: Yeah. And, th- you know, that that's a good preface, I think, um, for just kind of a subcategory of this whole podcast is probably your specialty has got to be. Um, those, those, uh, high mountain bucks, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah. Kind of those yeah, high, that, high alpine,
1: high, you know, higher elevation type bucks like you're talking.
0: Yeah. 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 So it was, it's funny. The first year I went hunting with Kyle, like, you know, I, I would glass, I'd glass over this hillside and it'd take me three minutes and then I'd take off. <laughs> Nothing there. <laughs> Got it covered. But, yeah. So the first time I hunted with Kyle, he sat down and. You know, he almost, like, he sat kind of like a girl squatting. (laughs) He was comfortable. Not, I'm not, he was, he's not feminine by any means, but, but he would sit, you know, like a kid squatting in front of a TV.
1: But not on the ground.
0: Yeah. He would rest rest his elbows on his knees and he would sit like that for hours. I'm like, come on, we ain't seen nothing. And, uh, I remember there was one deer, it's probably a 28 inch, 185 deer. And he goes, oh, there's a buck over there. Run, grab my spot and scope. So I go down, I run down the hill to the horses, grab a spot, scope, go back up, set it up, watch the deer for a minute. And you know, it was the biggest deer that I had ever had an opportunity at at the time. And uh, I said, great, hey, let's go. And he's like, oh, I thought you wanted a 30 inch buck. And I'm like, well, well yeah, but... I've never got a deer. He's like, if you want to kill it, I'll help you kill it, but that's not what you're here for. I'm like, you're right, let's go. <laughs> so he, he kind of, like, it kind of, I think that transitioned me from wanting to shoot every four point that I'd seen. So...
1: Yeah. No, and that's... The impact uh... that he... Oh, yeah, go ahead.
0: Oh, the impact that he had is just remarkable, the impact that he had on Mike. My deer hunting career, the way he led me, you know, maybe I didn't even realize that I was being led in a direction, but I've got a couple really good friends that kind of helped lead me. I got one friend that told me to let 200 inch deer go. And I did, you know, my friend, Mark Gillespie, he's, he's like, let that deer go one more year. And I'm like, you don't let a 200 inch deer go. And he's like, let it go one more year. Long story short, I let it go one more year, and it was
1: 223 the next year. So, yeah, a couple. Such an interesting, uh, it's such an interesting concept in the hunting world, too. um, You know, because it's, there's so many variables to it. You know, no no guy can tell you what you should be after. And so then, you know, then it, it becomes very personable or personal. But then at the same time, like. There's, we all know that there's kind of that aspect, you know, nowadays it's on social media back in the day, it was, you know, driving your buck into town and parking at the local gas station and all your buddies are there. But, but either way, there's still that aspect of like, you still know that everyone's going to see it. And so there's, you can't say there's not a, a small, you know, whether some guys get rid of it and, and honestly don't care. I think, and other guys like, you know, they consistently shoot small bucks and they're ashamed of them. And like, it's just a, such an interesting dynamic in the hunting uh, world.
0: But it was never like that before. Social media, social media put, so now we've got people hunting on high fence ranches and claiming that they're, I mean, whatever. And, and, and you know what, I, I, maybe, you know, the exact situation I'm talking about, but does it matter? No. But did he have to make up that story? No. But why did he make up that story? Because of the pressure of social media. Yeah. And that's all, like, it, see, I got to the point now, honestly, that where social media just sometimes sickens me the, the things that go on. And you got, like, uh, you know, me, I say I've killed one big deer, but, uh, and, you know, I've, I've got quite a few followers and I've, I've seen some big deer and I've got some pictures of some big deer, but I mean, ultimately, I don't feel social media pressure. Like I don't feel like I have to be successful to feed the fans of social media. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, and and, and it's funny you say that like that, that kind of proves my point. You're like, Oh, I've only killed one big deer. Well, to you, you have, because you have your standard and it's clear that, you know, you have your standard up there. Um, you know, you, the, the Jason Carters, um, but it's all, it's all relative you know and relative to everyone that's on social media and all the other guys that are looking at your photos like myself included i'm like man this guy's hammering some big big bucks you know
0: yeah and i mean i like to i like i don't like to tell people why'd you kill that i mean you obviously it tripped your trigger yeah right That dear tri- i don't care if it's a two-point for some reason it tripped your trigger congratulations good job yeah so, but all right. And I, I mean, I don't know if you notice, but like every hundred and, on social media, every hundred and seventy inch deer is a hundred and eighty-five inch deer. <laughs>
1: we, I mean, yeah. We I we, mean it's not always the case, but we no, you're right, because we so we, we used to joke about that um, when we we got our first we got our first wide angle lens, right? And they're really good lenses for just not just making deer look big, but just generally just outdoor photographs for certain things. And right. one one day we're we're up in the backcountry, we're hunting and we were glassing this buck and you know I can't remember the exact size, but let's say that it was a let's say it was a one fifty four point and we're sitting there glassing him, debating whether we should go after him because our standards are a lot lower than yours. And uh finally, like, you know, I, I think I said to my brother, like something like, Well, what do you think he scores? He's like, Well, it's probably he's probably one fifty, and I said, Well, and then, you know, the thought kind of popped into my mind of exactly what you're saying. I said, how big do you think we could make him look? <laughs> yeah. Well, we could probably make him look one sixty five. Like I'm like, all right, let's go get him. You know, it's like yeah. it's so pathetic, but that's 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 the world we live in. You're right. No, and I right. so, I here, here's my two cents on the social media. You're right. Like the re, the problems that we have, a lot of it's fueled by social media. I still believe that social media has just. Um, because of the scale and because there's, you know, the the whole world's involved now, um, it's just mag, right. it's magnified who we already were, you know. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's you were still uh, guys that would go put up their pictures at the local gas station or the local sporting goods store and be bragging and trying to kill a bigger one than the next guy. And before, right. you know, maybe the Eastman's articles, you're trying to get one in there and like. You know, it, it was all, you know, or just driving them through town. You know, we we're always doing it. It's just when you're driving a buck through town and you're, you know, you live in a town of a couple thousand people, that's as far as it goes. You know, when you don't have social yeah. media. Now it's just, there's so now much I, gasoline you know, put on the <laughs> put on the fire that it's.
0: Yeah. yeah. When I killed that 223 inch deer, I think it went around the world before I had it. <laughs> I texted it to my friend. Yeah. This was in 2012, right? So I text a picture to my friend. And my friend says, Clay, do you mind if I post this? And he posted it on his social media.
1: Wildfire. And then,
0: yeah, then it just, it just, that deer was famous before I got it off the mountain, you know? (laughs) And I kept a few, like, I kind of intentionally kept a few people uh, aware of the buck, but like maybe four different people um, that I considered good friends. So, of course, when I harvested this deer... I, I was gonna wait until I got it off the mountain to send it to anybody, but I texted it to my one friend Jeff, and he's like, "Do you mind if I post a picture of this?" And I said, "No, go ahead." So when he posted it, maybe those other four people saw it, and yeah. then it just went. Yeah, so, yeah. and and and, it, like, and, and, and I want to I want to get into how you're, I want
1: to I want to get into how you're killing these too, but I want to keep talking about this. <laughs> this is interesting.
0: So, well, let me tell you. So, I got the deer off the mountain. And, uh, I, I was so worried about getting it in, in the cab of my truck before somebody saw it. My cousin was with me and she set her backpack behind the truck, which had my cameras, my spotting scope, my binoculars. in. It. So there's several thousand dollars in this backpack. And I was in such a hurry to get out of there. We left that backpack laying behind the bed of my truck and I got to town. So we live it's a three and a half mile drive or three and a half hour drive from the trailhead to my house. And I get to my house and I'm like, Uh Kayla, where's that backpack? (laughs) Oh no. So luckily Ryan Hatfield was up there and uh, he, he called me and said he got his deer and he just packed that deer off the the mountain and he was staying at a motel. And I called him, I said, Ryan, (laughs) I might've left my backpack up there. It would have been laying behind my truck. And it was the next day he went up there and found my backpack still laying there with all the contents in it. I'm mm. like, so thankful.
1: Yeah. So do you, do you now, I mean, what's your protocol now? Cause we, you know, I, we're not so much like that, but there's times where, um, we either like won't release a photo of something until, you know, I don't, and I don't even know why, um, or you know nowadays like our thing is almost like we don't even talk about the tags that we've drawn um you know be on social media i, I think it's all intertwined um you know it's just you, you can create so much hype and so much like commotion about certain things on social media so fast that you know it's just it's, yeah. it's just interesting to me that we we really do do what you're saying where it's like you have to you have to maneuver around it almost sometimes but
0: Yeah, I, you know, I'm starting, I don't, I don't want all of the deer in the range that I hunt. I don't want all those deer to disappear, but they're, they're slowly declining on their own. Um, So, I mean, yeah, a lot of people know which mountain range I like to hunt, or that I prefer to hunt. Uh, People could go there. There's, there's always potential there. But even in the 20 years I've been hunting it, I mean, the decline has been, gradual but it's been significant every year and those big bucks are getting harder and harder to find so yeah. they're the 200s are almost a thing of the past you, what, you go to the winter range you can verify that statement on the winter range sure sure Yep.
1: Yeah. what uh what has has passing up you know uh bucks that most guys would shoot and holding out for those bigger bucks, what has that taught you about mule deer or what have you learned or what is it what does it force you to learn?
0: Well it, you know I've definitely I've I've let a two hundred and fifteen inch deer go because I've seen I mean I know there's a two hundred and forty inch deer in the next basin. <laughs> But you know, I it just does it trip my trigger right now? No. it's it just it's not necessarily like boy, please edit that
1: out. <laughs> no, we don't oh. ever all my listeners know we don't edit stuff out of, except swear words. We don't edit anything else out. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: So but no, you know, I don't I can't say that I've learned a lot about it. Sometimes it's just been stubborn and If I let a 215-inch deer go, it's because I know there's a bigger one there. And I've let a 215-inch deer go because I thought that it was adolescent, you know, Uh, half the size of a 180-inch deer that was standing next to it. Hmm. So um, I've I've let deer, but have I learned anything from it? Yeah, maybe sometimes you shouldn't let that 215-inch deer go. (laughs) Yeah. so I, yeah, one, I remember it's probably my first backpacking trip with my wife and I found a big deer, like maybe it was maybe a two thirty with a 215 inch deer together. And, uh, it was scouting. It was in August, mid August when I saw him. And then, uh, September 1st, there were two people, there was three people on that hill kind of flushing that hill. One of them had a bow. It looked like the other two were trying to help him get to that deer, so that deer was gone. But the 215 stayed, and the 215 during the rifle season was with a 180-inch deer. But the, the 180-inch deer was significantly bigger body. Yeah. So I think it was just a young deer.
1: Do you so one thing that is running through my mind while you're saying this is there might there's probably a lot of guys out there listening and going like these are just these are just mythical numbers like like 230 220 215 yeah. like my question and and uh what I'm interested to hear from you is do you do you believe that every state has a a fairly easy to access tag that has holds a 200 inch buck you know of course I'm not talking the of course, you know, um, uh, Utah's, you know, Pontagon or Henry Mountains and, you know, the top yeah. top units in Nevada that take 15 years to draw or 20 years. I'm talking like, you know, a Utah general tag or a Wyoming, you know, general region tag. Do you believe that there's 200-inch bucks in, in most, if not all, of those states uh, somewhere in the state? You
0: know, no, I don't. I don't. I don't believe that at all. I believe where I hunt's got a. I mean, it's got a long history of producing deer like that. So, and, I mean, like that particular area, I I've told people before: there's 180 inch deer in every basin. Go find them. Good luck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there, chances are, there is a 180 inch deer in every basin, in that whole mountain range. But the problem is, is, is finding one and finding one that's going to make himself available for viewing. Yeah. So,
1: so 180 is probably no. where you'd put the ceiling out of like, like a, a generally good, you know, again, there's, there's going to be exceptions, but I'm just talking like, you know, any general region in Montana, any general, you know, some, some, a, a well-managed general spot in Idaho, Nevada, Utah, there's probably going to be a 180 buck in there is what you're saying.
0: Well, I'm not going to say there's a 180 inch deer in every basin, especially in an area I've never hunted before. Right. but
1: but, but I, I just mean in the state, you know, just just trying to. But yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, in the state, yeah. Like I was hunting a desert area with a, a friend from church, and I'm I'll guarantee you there's a 180 inch deer out there somewhere. Did we find it? Eh, maybe at three miles, but I never confirmed that. So yeah,
1: no, um, that's that's the frustrating part yeah. for me is like. I I honestly do believe that there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, let's take Utah, for example, like, man, just about any general hunt in Utah, there's probably a 180 inch buck. And it's frustrating because I can't always find them, you know, but Mm -hmm. I, I I think, I just think a lot of guys use that as a, they, my point honestly is like, I think guys use that as their excuse when they end up tipping over a, a two by three or whatever, um, I did it. I did it in New Mexico last year, you know, a unit that's well known for holding, you know, one seventy, one eighty plus inch bucks. And I just couldn't, I could not find them. And so I tipped over a, you know, what I call the meat buck, you know, almost as a uh, calling it that as a joke. Cause it was just a sorry excuse for, I couldn't find a bigger buck, but um, you know, Maybe most guys aren't that honest, you know, and they they feel like, mm-hmm. you know, they they complain to their wild game and fish office, or they complain about there's so many hunters. And really, like, man, I I think on most of those, you know, decent units, like if you if you work hard and get back there, you know, you're not going to find a 230, but you're going to find a 170 or 180, you know.
0: Yeah. So and it, and now the size is less important to me now. What's important is spending time with my son, and I. You know, I never realized it. Last year I was hunting with my son, and he's like, We were watching some nice bucks, and one of them was probably pushing 175 to 180. And then there was a 25, 26 inch three by four. And then there was a three year old four point that had weak forks. In it. And we're sitting there watching these deer, and he's like, Well, yeah, can I shoot one? I'm like, You're 26 years old. I mean, so I said, But, but why? Because if you shoot, the one deer, the one seventy five, one eighty buck, that's gonna be hundred and ninety to two hundred inch deer next year. And that three by four is always gonna be a three by four. Or I mean he's not you know, he's not gonna be much more than that three by four and he's not gonna but that three year old deer with the crab cloth fronts and backs, that deer's never gonna be a genetic Yeah. Giant, you know. He doesn't have the genetics. I'm like, I wouldn't shoot any one of them. Yeah. And uh, he stopped me. He's like, you know, I've never shot a high country buck. And I'm like, oh, well, shoot one then. <laughs> and he, he says, well, I'm going to, I think I'm going to shoot the three by four because that other one's going to be bigger next year. So he did. And he shot that three by four. He shot a high country buck. And you know what? I had more fun. It's I, got, I had as much, if not more fun on that hunt than I did on any of the bigger deer that I've killed. And I, I didn't feel the pressure or that I wasn't constantly worried that somebody was going to sneak in and slay the buck off from under me, you know? So it was just fun.
1: That's it was my tag, but that's how that New Mexico hunt was last year. Honestly, like we, trust me, we hunted hard for four. It was a five day hunt. We hunted hard for four days. And I just, I was like, you know what? Like I'm taking a buck home. This is, this is a really hard to draw tag, um, which is ironic. Um, I didn't, you know, it was a tough hunt. but um, And so that night I basically made my mind up. We had seen where this buck was at, the one that I ended up killing. And so I kind of knew that he'd be back in there. And so you get to that point where you settle. I'll, you know, I'll just be honest. It was just settling from what I was hoping for. Um, but once once you get there, it's like, oh, sweet. Like, this is like being a kid again. Where you just, like, there's no pressure of, oh, shoot, it's not big enough. Like, I just get to go tip a deer over, you know? It's like, oh, it's fun again, you
0: know? So, yeah, I mean, if you can make it fun. Yeah. I'm going to, I don't necessarily care if I kill a deer anymore now. I just, I like going. I like to see my son or my wife harvest an animal. Yeah. Uh, That's what I think is really fun. I love to take pictures and get pictures of those animals, too. but. Yeah, harvesting's become less important. But I was with my friends and my son. We were coming off the mountain. One of my friends and my son, and uh, there was a one hundred and seventy, real tall. And this is a big barrel chested deer, really tall rack. And uh, my friend Vince like, "Clay, right there, it's a giant." And I'm like, "No, let's go." Uh, he's like, "No, it's big." I said, "Let's go. It's not that big." And I started looking at the deer. I mean just a big old buck and his horns weren't that big or that exceptional, but his body was enormous. And I started looking and the age, and I'm like, Ben looks at me and kind of shows. He's like, come on. So I didn't even have a gun with me. Luckily I brought my license, but, um, he's like, come on. And I go, give me your gun. (laughs) And I shot and it was fun. But my son was with us, with me. My friend Ben was there and it was a blast. We had a blast.
1: Yeah. Well, now that we've established that it's not all about the size, I'm, I'm actually curious to talk to you about, because you seem like a guy that could field judge a buck um, pretty well. Um, uh-huh. And so I, I'm just curious if you have any pointers or tips on, you know, maybe a couple things that you use, uh, you know, when you're just generally looking at a buck for the first time to just kind of get a ballpark of what he scores. Uh-huh.
0: Well, first thing you do when you feel just, me when I see a deer out in the distance and I mean, it doesn't matter if I got a split second. The first thing I do is notice this typical frame. So what's this typical frame? Cause I've looked at thousands and thousands, hundred and fifties, hundred and sixties, hundred and seventies, hundred and eighties, 200 inch frames. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just kind of like, I take a stab at, and there's, there's no science for me. I've watched tons of, Eastman's videos on field judging and yeah so the, if the fronts are fronts make up 60 percent of the score and well, just I look at it and I guess the typical frame
1: so are and you and then are you an inch are you an inch adder where you know guys are like oh if this is 12 and if this is 18 and this is six and this is this way and this spreads this then that's one you know and they're doing all the math or are you more just going off a of kind of feel and experience of you've looked at so many bucks and that's generally going to be a 180 buck or 190 buck or what?
0: Uh, no, I'm, I mostly base it off of the typical frame. So I I look at the typical frame. If I have time, I'll look at, I'll, oh, that times three inches, this times four inches. So I'll add up the, the non-typical points if I have time and add them into a typical frame. but you know what? If a deer runs out, it's 32 inches wide, and it's got 12 inch front forks. It's big enough. Right. You know what I mean? So, and then we'll look at the non-typical points later. So, but there's a difference if you're if you're preseason scouting and you've got time. Definitely, I mean, break it down. Break. It. It's got 24 inch main beams. It's got 13 inch G fours. Uh, 17 inch g2s yeah definitely do your best to, to guess accurately if you've got time yeah
1: does your uh, does your kind of standard or, or the, what your goal is does is it just something that you have no matter where you're hunting or do you adjust it depending on what you know caliber of hunt it is you say oh on this hunt i should be able to find a you know a 210 or a 200 inch buck or how do you do
0: that no i i so if i might tell hunting all bets are off anyways but <laughs> yeah you know, i mean no if if we're just hunting mule deer you know well here's a i was hunting whitetail in idaho and it was the season was open for whitetail or mule deer and i'm walking down this trail and i'll be darned there's a 26 inch wide heavy mule deer that's tall and you know 26 inches wide and I look at him and I'm like, man. Mm-hmm. The deer turns and I seen it was a white tail, not a mule deer, and I'm like, oh crap. <laughs> shoot. So then I'm like, you know, I'm reaching for my rifle, and it turned into red alert, red alert. And anyways, long story short, I didn't get him. Yeah. Um. So, don't... but but no, I don't. I don't necessarily have a standard it's just as easy to let them go as it is to pack them out yeah. unless it's something miraculous or spectacular or something that's going to make my son's trip better my wife's trip better you know then i might be more inclined to, to harvest something
1: and the the reason i asked that you know is like um with myself i when i started bow hunting um you know i'd killed some bigger bucks with a rifle but when i started bow hunting i i uh, i was you know, typical, I was going to shoot anything that, that was legal. And I did for a couple years, um, shot two or three, uh, forked horns. And then, you know, on the, about the third one it just kind of hit me like, okay, like I'm ready to hold myself to a little bit different standard here. Just personally what I wanted to do. And so I said, well, a Pope Pope and young buck, you know, and that, that's a decent gap, but I mean, i I'd, I'd still been hunting for a few years. And I went on a, like a seven year drought and it, but it didn't matter. You know, it was like, whether I was hunting Utah or Nevada or you know wherever else, we didn't really hunt anywhere else back then, but didn't matter what unit or what tag at that time. Um, you know, if I was archery hunting, it was going to be a, a Pope and Young, a 145 and, and, you know, man, I went on a seven year drought there, but, um, mm-hmm. anyway, just, just curious how well, other, yeah. other guys look at it. Yeah.
0: But you're going from shooting or yeah. harvesting a, a two-year-old deer to harvesting a three or four-year-old deer right that that one year of age difference makes a huge difference yeah
1: well and and just, and ty- point in my life you know where where you're at like you're saying you know we and we all get there and i'm 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 not definitely not to where you're at but i'm i'm past the um oh it has to score a i mean you know i proved that in new mexico last year he didn't score anything and uh You know, but it it was just the right, it was just right. You know, you just, you just kind of, the more you do this and it's just like, well, that's the one, like, I just know that this is the time and, and that's the one that like you say, trips your trigger. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting how, um, how that changes for people as they, as they mature and get older and have more experience, but um, talk about, um, I want to talk a little bit too about summer scouting and you kind of mentioned that um, with field judging, I mean, that's, you know, summer scouting is a good time to, to practice. And it's probably the time when you get the most, uh, experience field judging, honestly. Um, so what, what's kind of your, um, you know, what's a couple of your key, uh, summer scouting, uh, tips or tricks, or how are you successful at summer scouting?
0: So, well, typically, and I, I mean, you've probably heard me say it on other podcasts, but, um. Basically, you've got a morning of travel. So when you hit the trailhead, it doesn't matter. if you, When you first hit the trailhead and you head up, that morning's consumed with your travel to get to the Divide. Once you get to the Divide, you can set up camp. and uh, That leaves you an evening glassing shift, right? So if we look at it on, on shifts, like you got a morning shift and an evening shift, mm-hmm. and you got that dead gray area in the afternoon or uh, late morning, early afternoon so um your first your first on your scouting trip your first uh trip to the divide you have an evening glassing shift and then you wake up the next morning and you got a morning glassing shift you got that dead area you've seen a certain percentage you've seen the majority of the deer in the basin you might not have caught every deer in the basin You've seen the higher percentage of deer in the basin, maybe ninety percent of the deer in the basin. So at at that point, you want to stick around and maybe catch those other ten percent, or do you want to move and and go see another ninety percent in another basin? So
1: it's how do, how do you,
0: if you're if, oh go ahead if you're working off odds, it it's, just seems more beneficial to pick up in the afternoon. In that dead area, move to the next vantage, set up camp again, do an evening glassing shift, and a morning glassing shift. So, because you are seeing the majority of the deer, and, th- and, this and then is- you can argue, well, you're seeing the younger deer, but are you seeing the younger deer? Because, I mean, if you're seeing 90 percent of the deer and you're seeing an age variety, i th- I think that uh, I think that you're seeing you're seeing some good quality animals, but. In order to find that magic combination of age and genetics that lead to a world-class year, you you can't be held up on that last 10% that you didn't see. So, I, I think moving every day is pretty important until you find what you want. And once you find what you want, then, of course, it's all about patterning and spending time.
1: And, and this is, I assume this is kind of more relevant to uh, maybe a new to you um, area or I, you know, I, I guess it's not. Um, I guess even if you, even if you know the area and you've hunted in there multiple years, um, because of what you're saying, you know, you're, you're kind of a guy that's looking to target a buck. You know, you're not, you're not just looking for deer and you're not just looking, you know, to find bucks to hunt. You know, you're, you're usually after a buck
0: or <clears throat> so. No, you're looking for that. I mean, because you can't go up and find a super buck. What are you looking for? Are you looking for a 180-inch buck? Because if if that's your standard, if that's your goal, you can go up, and you can sit in that basin until that 180-inch buck shows himself. You can confirm that there's one there, and then you can sit and wait for him, right? Yeah. But if you're looking to find the absolute best of the best, then – I think it's beneficial to look at as many deer as possible. Yeah, so, moving. how many deer do you have to look at before you see a two hundred inch deer?
1: You t- you tell me. What would you say? Or, or how and many? A lot. <laughs> how many? A lot. How, how many trips on average? Um, you know, just off the top of your head, do some of those bigger bucks take for you to find? You know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Just ballparking it.
0: So, I mean, it's all relevant to where you're at, I suppose, well, but your vantage this is why vantage is so important if you have a good vantage you can see for 200 degrees 3 miles in any direction for 200 to 300 degrees right yeah. so and then uh, you move to the other divide or to the to a little bit different vantage and then you can go ahead and see the rest of that area but i mean you pick your vantages so you can see uh as much area, all the peaks, like in a three-mile radius, pick your vantage that you can. So then you can see like the tips of all the basins, and you can't see what's down inside necessarily, except for right where you're sitting. But you you pick a large area, and like it's vantage just by picking a vantage. One day I seen sixty, I think sixty-two bucks is my record in a morning. <laughs> but I had a three mile radius that I was looking in, you know?
1: Right. What, uh, what spotter are you running? Just, just side note real quick to, to look that far.
0: A a Swarovski. I got a 20 to 60 with 65 millimeter lens. Okay.
1: What, what would you say then if you were, if you had to say, you know, what's the, maybe the number one factor that you look for, when you're going to head into, let's say that it's new country to you um, and you're going to head into a mountain range, what's, what's kind of the number one overall factor that you're going to, you know, use to make your decision, you know, is it the vantage point or is it, well, no, like this, this basin's going to have, I know that it's facing this direction or it's got this type of, you know, scattered terrain, or it's got this type of feed, or there's a water hole here. I mean, what's, what, what would you say is the kind of the number one underlying uh, reason that you pick a spot?
0: Uh, Well, the number one most important thing is one, it's got to have deer in the area, right? So we want to know that we're putting in for tags that they're, that have deer that have deer and have a decent quality of genetics in the area. But so once you have that tag, I think every one of us does it and we all get on Google earth and we start looking at the area. (laughs) Yeah. So when and when i'm when I'm preseason scouting on Google Earth, I take my mouse and I run it over the peaks and I look for like all of the peaks, the elevation of the peaks, and I don't know if it's just does it, it really offer much not if the if the divide is averaging ninety five hundred to ten thousand two hundred feet I mean really, what's it offering is just telling me where the highest points are, but once you do, then I start. I start looking at these all these high points and saying, "If I'm sitting at on this point, what can I see?" Yeah. So I, you know, you can tilt and uh, Google Earth. You can
1: go put into yourself
0: that. almost yeah. in an exact position, and what can I see if I use this as advantage? What can I see from this point? And so basically, I look at Google Earth. If I want to go, if I if I'm going to have a stretch of seven days between point A and point B. Where do I want to stop my camps? Where do I want to stop and set up my camps? Where do I want to stop and, and uh, where do I want my vantages to be? Is there a group of trees that I can get my my champion uh, that's close to the vantage? You know those those types of things. So uh, if it's got deer, you need a vantage. And uh, do you especially like the stuff that I hunt is all upper basin. Right. up above the timber line. So you just look for good vantages and what's going to give you the best view.
1: Do you ever, when you're doing that kind of pre, pre-scouting, so to speak, do you ever um, look at a, a map or Google Earth and kind of pick out spots that you assume everyone else is, you know, all the hardcore backcountry guys are going to head and then purposely cross that out? Like it's, you know, this is the number one most obvious you know, it's the deep, no. it's the deepest, the highest, the furthest, and then cross it out, or do you just say, "Screw it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there too, and I'll, I'll outwork them."
0: Well, the biggest year I've ever watched in the summer range was a mile off of a four wheeler trail. <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, yeah, no, I, I don't. There's, you don't leave any stone unturned, and it, so the way I started doing it was very systematic. As I'd worked my way down a mountain range. I told you I'd move every day, but no, you don't you don't leave any any stone unturned because that hundred and twenty hundred and thirty or two hundred and twenty two hundred and thirty inch deer has got the same potential throughout the mountain range. Those genetics are I mean, they run through like the three major mountain ranges in Wyoming with good quality mule deer they the genetics run. Rampant in all three of those mountain ranges, so you you know you've got the Popeye genetics, and there's still Popeye genetics out there, yeah. and you could find it. It doesn't. It could be right off right off a four wheeler trail. So I got a friend that shot an eight and a half year old deer right off of a four wheeler trail. Yeah.
1: Um. So yeah, yeah. So basically, what okay. you're what what the point that you're making is. Is you don't ever for any reason rule any anywhere out. The you know where you're going to hunt absolutely. the deer. You're going to hunt the deer where they're at, even if it's the deepest, you know, ten miles deep, completely surrounded by you know no roads and no trails. And that's like the obvious. You know, you think everyone's going to be back in there because it's kind of the hot spot on a map for backcountry hunters. You're still going in there, but you're also not overlooking the you know the spot that's half a mile off a road if that looks like it might hold the big buck. Right. Yep. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. It's all important. All of it has the same potential. And uh, you look at the overhunted eastern states, and every, I mean, everybody knows where every giant whitetail is. Somebody's got to win, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the same here. I mean, and you, you take the three three most popular mountain ranges for mule deer in Wyoming, and we've got non residents throughout the whole country that come hunt these areas. And there's not a peak that doesn't have somebody on it. You don't have an option to go hunt somewhere. I, I mean, 10 miles isn't too far for those guys. The non-residents that come here to hunt in Wyoming, they're hard hunters. Yeah. So you don't have, there's nothing that nobody's going to leave unturned anyways. Right. So you, you just go, you go find what you want, work your plan. And I, I mean, you can't avoid necessarily avoid people.
1: So you you won't necessarily you know because of hunting pressure or kind of over over uh, popularity of a unit you uh, you don't necessarily change the way that you hunt if you know because I I know no. some of those Wyoming regions and I won't even say them but um, you know they've just experienced an explosion of popularity in the last you know few years but
0: yeah no they have and I mean they're already they're already struggling with deer populations anyways so but uh, you a person just has to out hunt the other hunters that's there's no real other way to put it i mean life's a competition and it doesn't matter where you're at or what you're doing everything's a competition and when you get in the field uh, everything's a competition and
1: well, and, and I a hundred percent agree. I, I feel like, you know, like you said, life or hunting or whatever, you know, the, the top 20%, they're always going to be one step ahead. You know, they're, they're always going to figure out where the trend is going and they're going to be one step ahead. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this with apps like, you know, go hunt and, you know, all these different programs now, you know, and, and really it's just, you know, if you can take a look at it, um, you know, and see, see where the trend is going, you know, let's say a, a general region in Wyoming, and you know that everyone's going to a certain one. And then you look, you know, and I've said this before on the podcast, but, you know, we try to be the guys that like say, okay, you know, what about the one next door? You know, there's, there's gotta be the same quality of deer in there and probably the same herd, you know, maybe, maybe we can go figure something out, out in there, you know, um, right. Yeah. That, that, that's the guys just guys you try to be but it's you know easier said than done
0: in, in today you don't even have to go scout anymore like uh, you can you can sit in front of your tv with your computer on your lap and, and search google earth until you find the exact terrain and like i said the the advantages or but you can log on to your computer send somebody an email and money and they'll send you the coordinates too the location of 180 inch deer yeah and it, it's that's what hunting has come to yeah you know
1: it's well at, it's le- at least long- it, at least in nevada um you know they're they just i don't know if you saw we just talked about it on our last episode but they put that trail camera because um, i you know that that's a big way of hunting down here maybe not so much up in those you know high alpine basins where water's everywhere and feeds everywhere but down here that's you know, that trail cameras are gold and, uh, they just put into effect, uh, regulation where you can't, uh, no trail cameras after August 1st, you know? And so uh-huh. ho- hopefully that starts eliminating some of that where, you know, guys aren't necessarily hunting anymore. They're just paying, you know, which what whatever, I mean, there's a whole discussion there, you know, what is, what is a guide, you know, what is a guided hunt? Well, you're kind of paying for, you know, and so to me, it's, oh, I it's, mean- it's really muddy, but
0: because I mean, yeah, I mean, so we've got guiding, and now you don't even have to. You you could get a. sorry, well, I mean, you can get a flight in Alaska, and they drop you off in a hunting area. Yeah. They're not going to put you right in the middle of the herd, but, I mean, ultimately, like, you you can pay somebody online, and they send you the coordinates until you put your tent here, sit right here, glass over there, you know, a, a detailed scoping. Uh, and then you can take your long range rifle up there. And I, I I have a long range rifle as well. So I'm not trying to be down on anybody, but I mean, so yeah, you, you pay for the coordinates and then you take your long range and then you sit back and the deer steps out at 1100 yards and boom, he's dead. Yeah. Right. You, I got,
1: mean, you got your Instagram post.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got your three minutes of fame. Yeah. So.
1: What, uh, switching gears just a little bit, what's, what's maybe one of your, uh, biggest mistakes that you've made, you know, chasing a, a big buck, uh, that you could, that people could learn from. well no. haven't made any yet. Staying
0: put. Staying put. When I knew, I knew that deer was gone and I stayed true because I knew the deer would be back because deer are so habitual. I stayed. I stayed on point, and I wasted so many hours and days. So, uh, because I I thought the deer held up in the timber and that he was going to slip up at some point. He didn't. He was gone.
1: He was gone.
0: Yeah, he was gone. So, that's probably the biggest...
1: It's funny because it's, it, 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 it's 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 that's a different answer than you normally hear. You never hear a guy, you know, because basically in my mind, you're being patient. Um, you uh-huh. know, and you almost never hear that. Um, you know, the, the you can make the mistake of being too too patient or waiting too too long. Um, but it, it's true, you know. You can.
0: Yeah. Oh, here's another one. Uh, I was watching a deer. It had the one year had double drop. I missed him that year. Second year he come back, he had one drop time, uh and maybe a one eighty typical frame, but a really cool eight and a half, nine inch string. Anyways, I thought for sure he I was watching this deer from two miles, a mile and a half away. Uh opening morning came, I got up, got into position where the deer was coming out on the hill. I look, I'm waiting, the sun comes up, and I look and this deer's walking. Uh maybe 30 yards in front of me to the right. And I noticed there's a one inch drop time hanging on his right side. And I'm like, Oh, he does have both drop tines." <laughs> Boom. Wrong deer. <laughs> so I didn't, I seen that drop time. I couldn't see the other side, the whole other side of him. And I just assumed it was the deer with the big drop time. It wasn't. So
1: not patient uh, enough there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I got down to my deer and I'm like, Oh no. And then, uh, I cleaned the deer and I was dragging him down to where I could get my horse to him. And, uh, in the meantime, there was another gunshot, mind you. Mm-hmm. So I dragged my de- deer down to where I could get my horse to him. And what did I drag him to? The lucky hunter that just shot the drop time deer. <laughs> yeah.
1: Congratulate him, tip your cap. And, uh, Oh,
0: yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I shook his hand and told him the story and,
1: when you, uh, when you make a mistake, um, you know, may, maybe it's, it's something else, being too patient or something, and, uh, you know, assuming that your hunt's not over because of it, like shooting the wrong deer, um, what do you tell yourself mentally to kind of keep your head in the game and, you know, stay on the mountain and, and keep working at it? Uh, you know, I don't
0: – I just – I've never really thought about that. I don't think I've, I've had the like, okay, calm down. I missed a 31 inch buck. I missed him three, three times. Cause, uh, my scope was, uh, I got excited scope was on three power, not on nine power. I shot 350, 400 yard shot, shot three times, missed him, him and the other deer run off and they go into the cliffs, uh, I just had to say, stop, stop, relax, calm down. And I sat on this hill and kind of was sulking for a minute, actually about 15 to 20 minutes. And I never really, I never really had to say anything. I just, uh, sorry, I'm getting another call. Oh, you're fine. Anyways, I, I didn't have to tell myself anything. I just had to calm myself down and I, I wasn't going to abort the mission just because I missed I seen the direction that they went, and I just eased into those cliffs, and uh, I started seeing those velvet tips stick it up. Belly crawled up, and it was him and the other deer. Actually, it was Hank the yeah. second year I seen him. so, uh, But I, I shot the 31-inch buck that was with Hank. So anyways, they were when I shot the 31-inch buck, Hank was like oh, 30 yards over to the right,
1: so Hank had been being chased by you and almost, I mean, you could have taken him that year and then you came back. Was it the next year that you killed him?
0: Yeah. So it was kind of, I shot, I was pursuing a deer and uh, I, this was 2009, I was pursuing a deer and uh, I look over and I see some bucks laying underneath a the tree. There's a real heavy three by four and there was a 27 inch bucket. You know, it had a mediocre frame, nothing real special. I'm like, but that three by four, that mass just like, I said, I told my buddy, I said, that's going to be a good deer in a couple of years. And then we, we moved on, went down, actually shot the deer. And I'll tell you another thing. When I shot that deer in 2009, I was sitting in the exact same spot when I shot Hank in 2012. <laughs>
1: kind of cool.
0: That is cool. Um, But anyways. Uh, we pursued that deer and and Hank and actually the 31 inch deer was that 27 inch buck. So I got that deer. The next year I went back and that uh, one deer was 31 inches wide. I told myself if he's in velvet on opening morning for two, I I'd never killed a velvet buck. And at that point I'd never killed a deer over 30 inches wide either. So Two, I two really wanted Hank's room. because when Hank come back that next year, he had a bunch of non-typical points. So the velvet and the, the wide frame, I could, couldn't could say no.
1: <laughs> well, and it worked out but, too in the long run.
0: <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I did have to take a minute and calm myself down. And, and just, I wasn't going to give up by any means. And I, I don't think I had to tell myself. You're not giving up. You don't keep going. I just like I just knew it had to be done. Yeah. I had to pursue it. I knew the deer was there and that was the deer that I wanted, so who
1: is uh who are maybe some some guys that you look up to or that maybe uh you know have mentored you or you know, helped giving you advice over the years, um, you know, or, or, or again just guys who maybe not give you advice now, but that you follow and that you respect that are, uh, that are some of the best mule deer hunters?
0: Uh, probably names that you've never heard of. Uh, Mark Gillespie, um, Kyle Balsley. Um, those guys are, are the ones that most impacted uh, my passion for mule deer. Definitely. So I kind of mentioned both of them throughout the podcast, but
1: Lo- yeah, Mark, kind of a local legends that a lot of guys don't know about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, Kyle's been featured. I think he's had some one or two articles in Muley Crazy. He's been in Eastman several times. And like, when Eastman started talking about coyoting out, Kyle was already doing it. He was up there on the mountain. And, you know, Kyle hates that term coyoting out. To him, it's just going deer hunting, you know. <laughs> I think Kyle's 66 down 60, 65, 66, somewhere around there. And, uh, Mark Gillespie, uh, he loves those animals. And I mean, he's done everything he could. He's petitioned the game and fish and he's, he's gone to all the game and fish meetings and trying to get them to realize that there's a declining population. And, uh, he, he loves he loves the animals as much as anybody you know those guys are, are probably the two most influential
1: what's, deer hunters that what what's that maybe uh them. what's maybe the you know one one lesson or the number one thing you've learned from each one of them what's what's something that you've learned from uh, uh mark that mark taught you uh
0: from mark probably patience mark's the one that told me let that 200 inch deer go. I'm like, Mark, you don't let a 200 inch deer go. He goes, let him go one more year. You won't be disappointed if you let him go one more year. I did. I let him go. I didn't come back 223 inches. Oh, um, Kyle, uh, Kyle, you know, he, he helped me. F- I mean, he took me. Oh, <laughs> oh
1: we lost him. Everybody stand by. We'll be right back after these short messages and a return phone call to Clay Allen. <laughs> Let's see if we can get Clay. Hello, oh. Clay. <laughs> oh, don't. You still there? Uh, yeah. Don't worry. I told our listeners that, you know, we'd just have a short commercial break and be right back after, <laughs> after these messages. <laughs> so they're yeah. they're hanging on the edge of their seats during the commercial break there. But, okay,
0: what were we talking
1: about? Oh, you're just, you're talking about Kyle. Uh, oh, maybe, Kyle, maybe, Kyle, something, yeah. yeah, something so, you learned from him.
0: Mark, Mark taught me to wait, and let them get to their full potential. Uh, Kyle, on the other hand, he taught me terrain. He taught me like what terrains where where big deer are. So I've been hunting that high country, and I for five years before I hunted with Kyle, and I, you know I was struggling finding any deer, let alone a big buck. And Kyle taught me where to look for the big bucks. I was almost in the right spot, but not quite. And another thing Kyle taught me was glassing. Glassing is the importance of glassing.
1: So not just where, but how to look for them.
0: Yeah, not just where but how.
1: When you say you were close, I mean uh, you know without giving too specifics, but was it just a matter of going a little deeper or looking a little higher or finding a little bit different feed or kind of what was the what was the key there?
0: Elevation and so and it, I wasn't getting the elevation, right? I wasn't necessarily I was hunting at the timberline. And I wasn't getting above the timberline and glassing the timberline. Gotcha. So if if you're hunting the timberline, you're just pushing everything, everything scattering in front of you. So it's just like watching wolves come into a basin. <laughs> those deer, they go to the absolute farthest region. When those wolves drop into a basin, it's the same thing. They they hear you're in the, you're in their house. Uh, they know when you're there, and they just move. They move away from you. They hide from you. So. Yep. I mean, you, I, I was right there. I was hunting those timberline bucks, but I was hunting those timberline bucks from the timberline.
1: The the age old saying, you always get above them and and start down, but you know, it's like how you don't know if you don't know, you know, how, how high they actually are, but
0: yeah. So, I mean, unless somebody tells you like, you know, I thought I was a good hunter then and and maybe I, I wasn't necessarily good. I was persistent. uh, Kyle taught me to be good. I mean, yeah. Kyle ta- well, you're kind of hunting in the wrong spot. You need to go out there.
1: So grateful for uh, buddies over the years that, you know, are, uh, are willing to, you know, and it's, it, it's tough and it's, it's tough because, um, you know, when you, man, the only thing it's almost as intimate as like, you know, marrying someone, when you take someone in the back country or you're going to, you know, agree to hunt with someone, it's, uh, you'll find out real quick how good a friend you are. And it's a, it's a, it's kind of a big risk, you know, for someone, you know, especially if they're taking you into a spot or they're taking them with you. Um, you know, and it, it's tough, you know, there's, um, and so you just super grateful for, uh, you know, any little, any little morsel of information that you can get, you know, from someone like that, that has it figured out, or, you know, is maybe a little bit more experienced. You just, you've got to always be grateful. Um, I, I use, I use Corey, our buddy Corey is an example sometimes because I, I feel like he did it right. Um, you know, and we, it's not that we were great hunters and we, you know, mentored him. We were just had been hunting out West and kind of mentored him, but you know, he, he was a guy that was willing to come along and just, pack out something he would pack your gear in for you he'd pack your elk out for you you know he he was just there to learn and soak it up and you know and and some guys um you know they they hit you up or they want to go on these hunts with you and they you know they just uh you know they expect you know they expect right off the bat or something like that or they're not already doing the work themselves and anyway
0: yeah well, i think a lot of people i mean I have people call me on a, on a regular basis. Like, Hey, well, what about this area? What about that area? Well, I don't know. Put your backpack on and go check it out. <laughs> but, I mean, like really, I, I mean, Kyle helped me. I spent five years in that high country before Kyle ever before I hunted with Kyle, but you know what I did? I put my backpack on and I beat, I beat those hills. I beat the heck yep. out of those hills, you know, so okay. it's, you just, I mean, you got to do your own work. And I, i say, it, I told my kids when they were going to school, you wake up, piss excellence, <laughs> go to school and kick ass all day. And I do it. I mean, it's the same with everything you do. You really have to, I mean, you got to wake up, piss excellence and take care of business. And it doesn't matter if you're on the mountain or at work, you, you really got to just take control of the situation and, and get to know your environment. When you go to work, you get to know your environment at work. When you go to school, you get to know, I mean, you get intimate with your environment, the teachers and the classmates and the bullies and the, you know, really it's, It's, you just kind of got to make it your house. You got to make it your home.
1: Situational awareness, you know, is the term we used to use when I was, when I was fighting wildland fire, it was a phrase that they're always you know, beaten into your head, situational awareness, and, and you can only react as well as you're aware of the situation that you're in, you know? Yep. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. Um. I don't, I don't mean to, you know, it's a little bit shorter than we normally do. Um, to be honest, I've got a, a little church uh, uh, project I've got to go help with. Um, uh-huh. But I, I, I still want to run you through, um, what, what we call the fire round. I'm looking for suggestions on a new, I don't know, fire round. Maybe that's, maybe it is what it is at this point, 42 episodes in, but, um, just kind of a quick, uh, this or that type of a thing. So, um, elk, mule deer, or antelope? You're... I guess
0: I didn't understand your
1: question. Oh, just, just what you prefer elk, mule deer, or antelope, what you prefer to hunt. Oh, I think
0: it's, yeah, I, pretty sure it's mule deer
1: <laughs> some of these are obvious for certain guys
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely um, so, yeah i i mule deer have consumed me i i like hunting elk and i like hunting elk with my friends uh, but mule deer is just something mule deer are in my heart i don't know something about a big mule deer that just i don't know it's, i'm sitting here looking at hank right now i'm like yeah there's there's nothing more beautiful
1: yeah well and just you know the i mean you know the way they move and the way they act and the way they're elusive and how hard yeah it's just especially Uh especially big mule deer nothing like them right um do you ever pick up a bow
0: i do Uh,
1: fixed blade or mechanical broadhead uh
0: fixed blade fixed blade
1: what uh what would be your dream hunt?
0: arco polo sheep nice
1: where are those actually do you know it's one of the gigantic stands or something like that
0: yeah in the stands in the stands say there. okay
1: perfect yeah. over in the stands um how about a favorite backcountry food item
0: mountain house lasagna that's
1: your favorite really
0: absolutely i uh,
1: i'll give you that that's of the mountain houses i just ordered a bunch of those that's like when i'm eating mountain house that's my favorite but you know i love like my fruit snacks or like my cliff shop
0: blocks or something like that <laughs> i'm not a big snacker when i'm oh i eat my it, i eat my meals and uh, lunch i usually have a little package of tuna
1: we can't be friends yeah, anymore. No. I'm a huge snacker, man. I, I love it. I would be, I would be suggesting you, uh, try some of my snacks while we're hunting together. So <laughs> it's okay. my,
0: my wife is a snacker and I'm not necessarily, I like meals. Yeah. So if I could eat eight full course meals a day, I would, <laughs> but yeah, my wife can snack and she's satisfied. Like, well, I want my belly full. I want a full belly.
1: Don't mistake. I still mix in my my meals. I just snack in between. It's like the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah. So let me tell you. I'll just give you a little, just a little backcountry food advice. Because it's freeze dried food is easy to clean up. There's minimal mess. You don't have to do dishes, and you're in the backcountry. You're backpacking. You don't. You don't want to do dishes anyways. So, uh, uh. Two-person meal, mountain house meal, doesn't necessarily always fill me up. So I started getting those. They're Ida potatoes, freeze-dried mm-hmm. potatoes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I I just put them in with my mountain house. I'm I cr- put a half a bag of that, and then it's I'm like usually it's too, much for, too much for me to eat. So I make a little bit extra. I eat, I eat my meal, my mountain house. I put it in with my mountain house. Yep. And then I have cold breakfast in the morning too. Whew.
1: I'm crinkling a pack of those right now. Can you hear that? The Idahoan uh buttery yeah. buttery home style potatoes. We I'm with you on that one. So this Absolutely. might blow this might blow your mind too. We started packing um this or this year we're gonna start packing these little just a brown gravy mix to go with it. And uh um, have, right? Doesn't that sound like pretty good? Yeah, yeah.
0: You just you just <laughs> took it over the top,
1: <laughs> okay. I think. Okay. Um what's your rifle caliber, your backcountry rifle that you shoot? Three hundred WSM. WSM. What? Yeah. I think I know the answer to this one too. But what's your? What would be your favorite state? Or if you could only hunt one state, what would it be?
0: The Greatest state in the nation, Florida. High country meal deer.
1: <laughs> yeah, they grow them big down there, don't they?
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: All right, Clay, where, I, you know, maybe you don't want people finding you as much, but where can people find you? I know you're on Instagram, so I'm going to out you there. Is that kind of the yeah, best no. best place?
0: It's, yeah, I don't post much on Facebook anymore, but I have my old High, Wide, and Heavy page. And, uh, you know, if you want to see some things that have been in the archives, go to High, Wide, and Heavy. Um, then I have a, a photography page, Clay Allen Clay L Allen, I think, is what that's called, and there's there's not very many people on there, and I kind of lost interest with posting on there as well. So, um, and then my personal Facebook page, uh, Clay Allen, but if you search Clay Allen in Green River, you'll find me and my son. Gotcha. So I'm the good looking one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Instagram, you are Clay Allen seventy four.
0: Is it seventy four or nineteen seventy four?
1: Uh, the one I'm on just says 74.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's it. That's the one
1: you'll, you'll know you're on the right page because, um, you know, like the first, like, Oh, I don't know. All the pictures are just huge mule deer or awesome mule deer (laughs) pictures or something, something do with a huge mule deer. so.
0: (laughs) I kind of, I post some, you know, I I don't know if I told you this, but Hank got to hang out with Popeye.
1: I did. Yep. I scrolled through and saw that. And
0: yeah, you can see. You know, it's no big deal. Just a 223 inch deer looking like a jeez, like a deer 170. Range. You know, there's
1: a funny, <laughs> yeah. funny story about that. Um, the first, well, so the biggest buck that I've ever seen on the hoof uh, was actually killed by one of our our good buddies, um, Dan was his, is his name, and and it was it was a guided hunt. But Dan's just assault salt to the earth and uh, had drawn a tag here in Nevada. Anyway. They killed a buck. I can't remember if it was 220s or two I think it's two thirty ish. Anyway, big buck. Well, I was out helping them scout. Um, they had seen this buck and they were trying to find it again. Anyway, um I'm sitting there with my brother in kind of the area that they had been seeing him, and we're looking and we're looking and we spot some bucks and we could tell that they weren't him, and this buck was probably um or no, no, that that's not true we saw him first. Sorry, excuse me. We we picked him up first, this buck, this target buck, this 230 buck or whatever it was. Um, and I'm looking at him. And, and again, this should have been the most awe-inspiring moment of my life because probably the biggest buck I'd seen to that point was maybe 180 inches on the hoof. And I was just looking at him like, and he was quite a ways away, but still I was like, I'm not really that impressed. I'm like, are you sure that you guys think that's a you know, a 225, 230 uh, class buck. And then he stepped out next to, or then a one, like a 170, 175 buck stepped out next to him. And I went, holy crap. Then I knew that is the biggest deer that I've ever seen in my life. When you compared him next to a, like you know 170 180 uh class buck it was just like holy crap and that's it's not quite that dramatic with uh with Popeye there i don't think but man it's right. it's pretty close people have to get on and look at that picture um yeah jeez yeah. what what did pop what, yeah. what did Popeye Pope the... score i don't remember i'd be
0: lying if i told you yeah I'll just, but I'll park, I'll park maybe it. 251. I was going to say around,
1: around 245, 250. Yeah.
0: But it, I mean, so if you look at the 223, Hank, he's got a 15 inch G4 on his left side, mm-hmm. 15 inch G4. That's a big G4. Popeye yeah. right, sitting right next to him, his left G4,
1: 20.
0: 17, inch, yeah. 17 inches long. <laughs> and I think, you know, I'm not sure, but it might be the longest G4 recorded on <laughs> Maybe there's a longer one, but I I don't think so. Yeah, I think Popeye might have the longest
1: D4. Well, I'd let you shoot to, uh, I'd let yeah. you shoot Popeye all day, and I'll take the two twenty
0: three. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. Yeah. So I was I was talking to a friend of mine one time, and it, it was you know the the twelve deer. What's that picture? Kings did that. Oh 12? yeah,
1: Kings Kings. Oh, uh, the Dirty
0: Dozen or yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm showing my friend. Ron, the picture of the dirty dozen. I said, Which one would you shoot? He goes, All of them. Yeah, <laughs> I'd shoot till the barrel melted. <laughs> I love that. That was one of the funniest statements I'd ever heard. Reload, I'd shoot till the barrel
1: melts. yeah, reload. Oh, that's good, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, before I let you go, though, um, I like to give you credit, and then I'm going to ask you one, one more question at the end that I ask everyone. So, man, I want to give you credit, uh, Clay, for just being a mule deer junkie and. You know, being willing to pass a you know whatever you said it was a two fifteen or a two two hundred and ten inch buck uh, because you knew a bigger one was there uh, that deserves some credit. So
0: can I just say this: if you want to shoot your target buck, don't shoot another deer until you know your target buck's dead. Yep.
1: Or or if you're like me, lower your standard, right?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, if you lower your standard, you're not going to shoot your target buck. I know. So. That's that's the one thing that like, if you have a target buck, do not settle until you know that your buck is dead. Yep, that's
1: it right there. I, I, also, want not, you, yeah. I also want to give you. Yeah. Also want to give you.
0: I'm not going to tell you. Don't, oh, go ahead. I'm not going to tell you. Uh, don't. If you wouldn't shoot it, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard it. Don't, sh- if you're not going to shoot it on the first day, don't shoot it on the last day.
1: Yeah. I hate I'm not going to tell you
0: that. I'm just yeah. going to say, if you want your target buck, don't shoot another deer until you know your target buck's dead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I've, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. So, um, last thing to give you credit for, you know, you mentioned your boy and, 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 uh, specifically I want to give you credit for the fact that you, you know, you mentioned that you put his, you know, you, you're more excited to see him kill a deer, um, you know, than yourself anymore. And so that, that tells me that you're, you know, a family man and that, and that you're a good dad. So give you credit. Yeah. For... So him and
0: my, my wife, you know, I, I'm not going to say I've ever cried, <laughs> but I'll tell you when my son shot his first deer, I like, it was like, I think it was right there close. <laughs> and my wife, uh, when she harvests something, I don't know, something, maybe i'm just getting soft in my old age i don't know but yeah it's my daughter oh my daughter gets so excited and yeah it's, that's awesome. that's what it, it is about to yeah. me now was, yep so anyways okay yeah thanks for the cra-
1: yeah no problem uh last question that i ask everyone is uh why do you hunt the backcountry
0: Why do I hunt the backcountry? Ch- I mean, challenges. Just why does a bear crap in the woods? Because <laughs> that's the best place for them to do it. Just right? how
1: they're made. Yep.
0: Yeah. So uh, no, it, there's there's no. It just I don't know. I so I come off the mountain one time after. Uh, And I, I'd been back there for a long time and I was probably quite smelly. And I stopped by my friend Brad's house and they just got done at church. And his little boy says, how did you change out of your church clothes so fast? And, uh, I said, I was at a different church. I was at my mountain church, you know, this, that's as close as you're ever going to be that back country is as close as you're ever going to be.
1: Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and
0: links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.